Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Friday night Bible study. So glad all of you could join us this evening. Thank you for tuning in. I pray that our time together this evening might be profitable as we study God's Word together. Friends, please do share your praises in the comment section below. Would love to hear from you as we get into our study for this evening. Before we do that, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we have to come and study your word once more. Lord, what a blessing it is to be able to open your word, to be able to read and study together. Lord, we want to invite your presence to please be with us. We plead for your presence, that your Holy Spirit might abide with us, that you might guide us and lead us into all truth. Father, please teach us from thy word this evening is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening, we are going to be looking at the story of Nadab and Abihu. We are continuing our series on the wilderness wanderings. I pray that you've been blessed by all these studies that we've been looking at so thus far. And uh, this is, I think, our seventh study in this series, Nadab and Abihu. If you'd like to go through the series and look at the previous um, studies, you can go to uh, my website at adventproductions.com, A-D-V-E-N-T, productions with a S, dot com. And you'll find many resources there for our Friday night studies, for different Bible studies. Pray that it'll be a blessing to you. But anyways, we are looking at Nadab and Abihu. And why is Nadab and Abihu so worthy of mention in the scriptures, in the Bible, especially in the story of the Israelites traveling from Egypt to Canaan? Well, let's start with our first text this evening, found in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 23. And Aaron took Elishaba, daughter of Aminadab, sister of Nation, to wife. And she bare him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. So there you go. There we see Nadab and Abihu mentioned here. They are the two oldest sons of Aaron, who was the right-hand man and older brother to Moses. Aaron was also selected as the high priest to officiate in the sanctuary services. And so what else do we understand about Nadab and Abihu? Let's keep reading in Exodus 24 and now verse 1. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. You see, when God called Moses up to the mount to give him the Ten Commandments and also to establish his covenants with the children of Israel and give them the sanctuary and the plans and the blueprint for the sanctuary, he didn't call just Moses alone. He also called Aaron, but he also called who? Nadab and Abihu, and then the 70 elders of Israel. So the Bible actually tells us that there was a group that went up the mount with Moses. Of course, ultimately at the end, Moses was, would go in and talk with God alone, but Nadab and Abihu were there as well. And it says that they actually saw God. Let me show you this. In Exodus 24 now and verse 9 to 11, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet 
as it were a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were the body of heaven in its clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand, also they saw God and did eat and drink. You see, friends, the fact that Nadab and Abihu were separated out from the congregation of Israel and he, they came along with Aaron and the 70 elders of Israel, it showed that they occupied a pretty high and important position in the nation. In fact, they were listed, it, it, it seems like the, the list that was given, Moses, Aaron, then Nadab and Abihu, and under them the 70 elders of Israel. And after Aaron, they were second in command. Moses was first, and then Aaron, it seemed like they maybe they were together, but it seemed like Moses was more in, in the leadership. But then after that was Nadab and Abihu. And you know, the last time we studied, we saw how God gave instruction to Moses in the building of the sanctuary. There were offerings that had to be collected to build the sanctuary and its furniture itself. And the, the specific offerings were detailed so that if people sinned, they could bring an offering, sacrifice, and be made right with God again. The daily services, the different feast days, they were established to point forward to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would come one day. And also, the priests were dedicated. There were so many things that were established and built in regards to the sanctuary that we actually have a whole series on this if you'd like to look at it on my YouTube channel there, but you have to sign up. You've got to contact me and we'll give you access to that just for a little small fee. But anyways, the dedication of the priesthood was the final thing that would take place before the sanctuary services would begin. And it was a very rigorous and detailed ceremony. Let me show you. It's detailed here in the book of Leviticus. We're looking at Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 6. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And obviously these sons would include Nadab and Abihu. So the first thing that would happen is that they would be washed with water. Verse 13. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and put coats upon them, and girded them with girdles, and put bonnets upon them, as the Lord commanded Moses. So after they were washed, they would be clothed with the garments of the priests, very specific clothing that no one else was allowed to wear. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, And he brought the bullock for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the bullock for the sin offering. So even the priests, they had to also bring an animal for the sin offering. They were not allowed to officiate as priests until they had made sure they had cleansed themselves. So they were washed, they were put on the garments of the priests, then they would all place their hands upon this, this beast and offer it as a sin offering, confessing their sins. Then next, verse 18 of Leviticus chapter 8. And he brought the ram for the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram. So not only a sin offering was brought, but also a burnt offering, which represented an offering of consecration. It was the head of the, the ram, the animal, a ram, and they would lay their hands upon the head of the ram, 
and Moses would kill it. Why this was a dedication, dedicating their lives to the Lord, especially to serve him in the sanctuary. What would happen after that? Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 22. And he brought the other ram, the ram of consecration, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram. So another ram, another ram of consecration. And then verse 24, and he brought Aaron's sons. And Moses put of the blood upon the tip of their right ear, upon the thumbs of their right hands, upon the great toes of their right feet, and Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. Interesting, isn't it? What would Moses do? He would put the blood of the ram that was slain, they would put it where? On the right ear, the right thumb, and also the right toe of the, of the right foot. So why? Well, hearing, doing, and going. So the priests had to judge fairly that they would not be partial to anything they heard, and then they would not do anything against the Lord or go anywhere that the Lord did not command them to go. And then what else? Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 30. And Moses took of the anointing oil and of the blood which was upon the altar and sprinkled it upon Aaron and upon his garments and upon his sons, upon his sons' garments with him and sanctified Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. So there would be anointing oil that would be sprinkled upon Aaron and his sons. Okay, this represented what? The anointing of the Holy Spirit that would come upon them. And then, lastly, we read in Leviticus 8, 33, And ye shall not go out of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation in seven days, until the days of your consecration be at an end, for seven days shall he consecrate you. So at the conclusion of this dedication service of the priests. If you're one of the priests, you'll go through this whole rigorous service. And at the very end, you would stick, stay there at the tabernacle for seven days. Why? To be dedicated totally to this sacred office. And look, we're just reading through all these texts. And even then, I, I skipped a few here and there, but I wanted to show you how rigorous this process was, this service was, how important it was to God as the priests were dedicating their lives, themselves, their heart, their whole being to God in service to Him all the days of their lives. And how it was not just something that He wanted us to easily forget. It was such an important process to the priesthood. And so we read that in Leviticus chapter 8. And then in chapter 9, before the actual service would begin, where people would start bringing all their offerings of the animals when they sinned, when they wanted to dedicate themselves to God and all these things, before the sanctuary was opened for its services, there was one more thing that had to take place. Let's read in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 22 to 24. And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them, and came down from offering of the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings. 
And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. So what would happen finally at the conclusion of this service of dedicating the priests to God and to the service of the sanctuary? Fire would come down from God and consume all the offerings as a sign of approval that what they had done was accepted. It was such a solemn service that it was marked at the end by the very presence of God himself. Fire coming down from heaven. Can you believe that? It was such a rigorous process that they were involved in just to begin to perform the office of the priest. Something that would not be erased from their minds for a very long time. Something that would serve as a reminder to them that they were dedicated to the Lord and holy the Lord's. However, not very long after, after all the ceremony had been finished, after all these, uh, this, this dedication process had taken place, something else would come about that would be of a different character. Let's read now. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 2. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. What would Nadab and Abihu do? They would each take a censer, it was like a golden bowl, each of them, and they put in it fire. Not just any fire, but strange fire, and they burnt incense with it. Because of this, the Bible says that they were immediately killed by the Lord. They would be consumed with fire from God. Now, look, what was this strange fire that Nadab and Abihu had offered? And why is it that they were killed so quickly, that judgment came upon them so swiftly? Well, what had they done wrong? What was this strange fire? Well, who was, um, where was this fire taken from, pardon me, that they could put into the censer and burn incense? Let's have a look at Leviticus chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. The Bible says this, And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense from upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, that he die not." Notice what is bolded and underlined here. It is the burning coals of fire. Where would it come from? From off the altar that was before the Lord. And so 
Specific instruction was given in the burning of the incense. The coals had to be taken from the altar of incense. The fire could not be taken from anywhere else. And so obviously Nadab and Abihu, when they brought their censer in and they had fire in it, the reason why it was strange fire, it was because they were not following the instruction that God had given to them that they did not take the coals from the altar of incense and then burn the incense on those coals, on that fire. They had come up with their own fire. We don't know from where, we don't know how they got it, but that is what happened. And they must have not done it out of ignorance. They must have known that they were doing this. Why? Because God would not have punished them if they did not know. Right? It would not have been fair for God to punish them and to kill them if they, said, if they didn't know where to get the fire from and they just brought whatever fire they found, maybe something that they had to make themselves, right? No, they absolutely knew. And so fire comes out from God, consumes Nadab and Abihu. And immediately, when Moses sees this, look at what he says to his brother Aaron. Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 3. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Moses, he saw the judgment of God. He declared that it was just. He stood upon the side of God instead of the side of his older brother and his nephews who had just been consumed. He said, God must be glorified. Look at this in Leviticus chapter 10 and verses 4 to 7. Moses gives further instruction. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Moses tells Aaron and even his sons, you're not allowed to grieve. You're not allowed to cry for your brothers, for your sons. Why? Why was it that they were not allowed to do something like this? They, they had just lost his, his sons or their brothers. And why? Because they were not to show any sympathy for the sins that they had committed, which led ultimately for God to destroy them. Why was this so important? Otherwise, the whole congregation of the children of Israel they would have seen what Aaron was doing. He was crying for his sons now, and they would have started thinking what? That God was unjust in his judgment. 
People would begin to murmur against God. They begin to gossip and, and word would go around. Look at Aaron. Oh, poor Aaron. He lost his sons. Oh, how did he lose them? Well, God killed them. But why? Oh, we don't know. You see that? If Aaron was beginning, it was to begin to weep for his sons who were justly cut down, who were justly punished by God, it would have appeared that God was in the wrong and unjust in what he did. Maybe. God was too extreme, they would, they would begin to think. And so Moses tells Aaron to hold your peace, to not weep. You're not allowed to uncover your head. You're not allowed to put the, the garments of mourning on for your sons. All the people would be watching. Everybody would be watching and see whether what Aaron would be doing. And they would follow in suit. Was God just or not? And you know, friends, right after this, God speaks directly to Aaron. Look at this, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 to 11. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. It's so interesting. Why would God now choose such a time to instruct Aaron and the whole priesthood that they were not to drink any wine or strong drink? Well, the answer is obvious. Nadab and Abihu must have been intoxicated when they brought that strange fire into the temple of God and burnt incense upon it. They must have been drunk. They must have been full of wine when they came into the presence of God to perform the ceremonies of the priesthood. And as a result of that, because of their intoxication, they made a wrong decision while under the influence of this strong drink, which would lead them to do something that would be ultimately punishable by death. You know, friends, there are some important lessons for us to consider when we look at this story of Nadab and Abihu. First, there is no such thing as small sins. You know, when God rained fire down from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah, the reason was obvious. It was it was because this city was a wicked city and not even five righteous people could be found in it. People were committing sin openly. They were committing fornication and going after strange flesh, says Jude. But Nadab and Abihu was wrong thinking that their disobedience was something small in the eyes of God. Friends, there is no such thing as a small sin. Throughout the Bible history, Many people have been punished because of small acts of sin. Let me show you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, going back all the way to Adam and Eve, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and did eat. Adam and Eve. They were thrust out of the Garden of Eden simply because they ate a fruit. 
just because God told them, do not eat from this tree, but this simple act of eating and disobeying brought sin upon the whole world. Let's look at another one. Genesis 19, verse 26. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. This was the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, his wife, and the two daughters had fled. The angels had pulled them out of the city and said, Rush! Go! Run! Do not look back at all! But the wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt, simply because she turned back. Numbers 20 and verse 11. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Moses, he was kept out of earthly Canaan simply because he struck a rock instead of talking to it. That's what God told him to do. It was such a small thing, but yet God kept him out of earthly Canaan. Let's look at another example. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Uzzah, he was bringing or helping to bring the ark of the covenant back from the Philistines to the Israel. And well, actually, he was, it was bringing him from one of the men's house in Israel after it had come back from the Philistines. And as it was being transported, it began to rock, and he just put out his hand to steady the ark. He, was, he had good intentions in mind, but because he touched the ark and he shouldn't have, God struck him. Something so small with good intention, but it was against God's instruction. One more. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 5 and verse 5, And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came upon all them that heard these things. Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of land that belonged to them, but they hold back part of that portion of that land, and they told the apostles that they sold it for this much when it was actually much more. And they lied. And because of that, God struck them dead, both of them in the book of Acts and chapter 5. You know, friends, we ought to be careful that we follow every word of God. Let's not think that some parts of the Bible is more important than the others and other parts are less important than others. Let's be sure that we put all of God's word on the same level. We gotta make sure that we are faithful in the little things. God cares about the little things. And in this case, it was in regards to Nadab and Abihu, the sort of fire they put in their censer to burn the incense. Yes, it was important. God cared. God cares about the little things. Secondly, the greater our position, the greater our influence, and the more we will be held accountable. Nadab and Abihu, they had seen firsthand the holiness, the greatness of God. They were right there in the mountain with God and with Moses. They were right there when the fire came down upon that mountain. And they were right there as they saw the fire come down from heaven. And 
as a sign of acceptance from God, burn up all that offering. They went through that whole rigorous process, the holiness of God. And they were in a very high position right after that of Moses and Aaron. They had a far-reaching influence over the whole nation of Israel. And the greater our position, the more we are held accountable. Look at James chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says this, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. You see, friends, those in high positions, the masters, they will receive greater condemnation. They'll be judged with greater strictness because of the great influence that they had on the people around them. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, we're told, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. You know, friends, our position matters. And the more that God has blessed us with the the talents and the time and, and all the wisdom, and he puts us in these positions of great influence, we will be held accountable. That includes our riches, our influence, and our talents. In the parable of the talents, the the one that was given five talents, he gained five more. And the one that was given two talents, he gained two more. The one with one talent, he did not have as much pressure to gain five talents or two talents, no. All that was expected of him was one talent. He only needed to gain one more. You see, friends, with more blessings become there comes more responsibility. Five talents, five more. Two talents, two more. One talent, one more. God holds us accountable, especially in the positions that we're in, in the sphere of influence that we have. He holds us accountable. And thirdly, how we come before God, how we present ourselves, how we worship, it is important. It matters how the priests prepared. You you see them. They had to wash themselves. They had to be clothed with the right sorts of garments. They were not even allowed to have a, a speck or a dot on their garment. They were not allowed to get it dirty. And they went through all this rigorous process, these specific steps, just to show how holy their position was before God. And yes, it mattered. It mattered what sort of fire was brought before God into the sanctuary. They must have known otherwise or else they would not have been killed or destroyed. They were held accountable for what they knew, not for what they did not know. Friends, how we worship, how we come into God's presence matters. From the very beginning, God, He had very specific instruction. Look at this in Genesis chapter 4. Right after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, they have two sons. Famous, Cain and Abel. One is infamous, rather. And it says here in verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Cain, 
He brought the fruit of the ground. He probably brought, brought his best, but it was not accepted. Abel, he brought a lamb, and God had respect to that offering. He accepted it. You see, friends, it matters what sort of offering we bring to God. And sometimes we might say in our hearts, well, God, this is my best. And God says, well, your best is not enough. I want you to be specific in in bringing me the offering that I requested. Yes, something so small as the day we worship, it matters to God. Something so small as how we dress to church, it matters to God. We must worship God, not just in truth, but also in spirit. Not just in spirit, but also in truth. The two must go together. We must come to the scriptures and ask God, God, what is it that you want me to do? How is it that you want me to live my life? How is it that you want me to worship you in spirit and in truth? It matters, friends. God, he holds it important and dear to his heart how we come and worship before him. And it was important, the sort of offering that Nadab and Abihu would bring. Friends, it matters in how we worship. It's not just saying, oh, uh, so long as uh, I feel it in my heart. No, friends, God is specific about worship as well. And fourthly, most importantly, it is important in what we choose to eat and drink. It can become a moral issue. Nadab and Abihu were getting intoxicated. They were consuming liquor, the fermented sort of wine, which would ultimately lead them to make a very foolish decision and cost them their lives. Friends, our health matters. Our diet matters. Just go back to Genesis. Adam and Eve ate a fruit and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Look at Jesus. He was first tempted by diet, by our appetite, what he ate and drank in the regard to the temptation. It was what he ate. Satan tempted him. If you are God, turn these stones into bread. Friends, what we put into our mouths, what we choose to eat and drink, it matters. It really does. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Temperance is so important to know what is bad and what we should stay away from, abstain from eating, and also taking in moderation that which is good. It's so important. If athletes take such a a a clear and microscopic view of the diet and what they're putting in their body so they can perform better, how much more should God's children? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Friends, we must glorify God in our bodies, which means we could also glorify the devil in our bodies as well. What we put into our bodies, how we take care of our health, it matters because that is where the Holy Spirit resides. Another text, 1 Corinthians 10.31, a more famous one out there. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, 
do all to the glory of God. We can give glory to God by what we eat and drink. And that means the opposite is true as well. Friends, we got to glorify God in all that we say and do, in all that we eat and drink as well. And then, 1 Corinthians 3, 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Friends, let us not think that our diets, what we eat and drink, is not important. It's a small thing. It matters to God. And friends, it should matter to you and me as well. And lastly, the lesson that we can take from Nadab and Abihu, godly parenting is important. It was already obvious that Aaron was a weak and vacillating character. He did not stand firm in the face of adversity when the children of Israel asked for a different God, when Moses was up there for 40 days getting that, get, getting the, the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments. It was obvious that he was not a strong leader in the nation, and then it overflowed. Or I, I should say, it started in the home, and then it overflowed to the rest of the nation. He must not have been managing his home well. He must not have. We see it because of through Nadab and Abihu. He maybe had, had he taught them the, the, the good habits of temperance and self-control and these strict habits and guided them in the right way that they would not have so fast turned from the path of integrity and duty. Had he not been neglectful of his own duty as a father, he would not have to grieve their dead bodies. But just as he was as a leader, really so he was as a father. He did not discipline them. Maybe he was afraid to, to hurt them. Maybe he was afraid that they wouldn't be his friend anymore. He was afraid of conflict. He lacked firmness to stand for what was right. And sometimes, you know, friends, we deceive ourselves thinking, oh, our, our children are just going through a phase. I find this with many parents. They say, oh, my, my son or daughter is just going through this phase of playing computer games. No, friends. I know many adults in their 30s and 40s that are still addicted to games and they're not able to be productive. They're not able to be a blessing to society. They're not going just through phases. Friends, while they are young, while we have the authority over them, while they are living in our homes, we're to train them to do right. We're to teach them what is right. We're to teach them how to exercise self-control and stay away from that which is bad and to become good and noble citizens for this earth. Friends, we must never do nothing. We must never be, be just standing on the sidelines as we see our children who are in sin, that are not doing something right. We got to make sure that we stand up firm and teach them how to be principled as young people. Most people, they never do. Most people never change. Most people are afraid to discipline their children. Most people think that just a talk is enough. But really, was it? It wasn't enough for Nadab and Abihu. We ought not to deceive ourselves in regards to this matter, friends, especially if you have children. It is not too late to turn it around. It's not too late to be firm and principled with them. It's not too late to be a mother and father to them, not just to be their friend, but to train them in how to act, how to to exercise self-control, how to say no to that which is bad, 
and do that which is good. Why, friends? Galatians 6-7 warns us, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Friends, what we sow, we will reap. A good character does not come about by accident. Good and well-trained children do not come around by accident. Whatever we sow, whatever we put in, we'll also harvest. Whatever we sow, we will also reap. And Aaron, he was clearly reaping the consequences of his own actions of being a neglectful father. And so when we look at the, the, the story of Nadab and Abihu, it's a sad case. It's something that could have been avoided. It's something that had Aaron stood in and been more firm, their sons could have been different. It's something that we see that God cares about these little things, you see. And all these lessons, they echo down to our time today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 tells us, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Everything that we have been studying, everything that we're looking at, is it's a witness to our time. It's a warning to our time. We got to make sure that we take clear warning from the stories that God has given to us, especially as we're going through this journey from Exodus, from Egypt to Canaan. For God, He's trying to bring us out of Egypt that is in our hearts, pull that out and trying to plant a, a mind that is heavenly, a mind that is looking forward to the heavenly Canaan, a mind that is hoping for the second coming of Jesus soon. We got to remember all these stories and these lessons. Let's not keep repeating the sins of the past. Let's not to keep thinking that it's okay just to drink a little bit and get intoxicated once in a while. Just have a little bit of a good time. Why can't we have this jolly time on earth? No, friends, not when it leads us down the path of sin. We have to see sin in its clear light and not think that it's trivial and small as we think it is. Let us see the position of influence that God has given to each and every one of us and to be careful to rise up to the occasion to be that blessing. Let's learn what true worship is and come into God's presence with, uh, with carefulness, with reverence, with godly fear. These small things matter and let's be careful with what we eat and drink. Friends, Nadab and Abihu could have been avoided. They're untimely deaths. It could have been. And today, I know that there are decisions that we are making on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, that can change the whole course of our life. From the small decisions to big decisions. All this matters to God. What we sow, sow, we will also reap. Friends, may God help us to sow goodness, to sow godliness, to sow His love. That as we have the heart and the love of God burning in our hearts, that He will lead us in the right paths. He will teach us what to do. He will guide us. He will shape and mold our characters. And all the decisions that we make, all of them might give glory unto Him. And so friends, 
Let us be mindful of these little things today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you for the lessons that we've learned this evening from the story of Nadab and Abihu. Lord, help us not to repeat the sins of the past. Help us to be careful in what we choose to eat and drink. Help us to be mindful of these little things. Help us to be better parents for those that have children that are married. Help us, Lord, to train our children to be a blessing and a good influence upon all that we come in contact with, not just our family, but the church and for the people that are out there. Help us to be a blessing. And guide us, Lord. Give us strength to be like you. Give us your heart. Take away the stony heart out of our flesh and give us a heart of flesh that we might love righteousness, that we might desire all the good things of heaven, that we might have a heart that is full of obedience to your word. Lord, we can't do it without you. Please, Father, help us. Fill us with a double portion of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be like Jesus today. This is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, thanks for being with us. May God bless each and every one of you. Don't forget to leave a praise in the comment section below. We'd love to hear from more of you. And may God bless you on this wonderful evening. Goodbye for now. God bless.